Recovery Sort Of is a podcast where we discuss recovery topics from the perspective of people living in long-term recovery. This podcast does not intend to represent the views of any particular group, organization, or fellowship. The attitudes expressed are solely the opinion of its contributors. Be advised, there may be strong language or topics of an adult nature. Welcome back. It's Recovery Sort Of. I'm Jason, a guy who kind of was in a recovery house at one point. <laughs> and I'm Billy. I'm a person in long-term recovery. My name's John, and I'm an addict who's been in every single halfway house in Delaware and Maryland, just about. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and if you haven't guessed, today we're going to talk about recovery houses, whether they're useful, what they're like, if there's any standard, if they follow a similar guideline to each other, uh, and that's what John here's for. So we're going we're gonna to let John go ahead and tell us a little bit about himself. My name's John McGee. Um, I'm an addict. I was born an addict, like... Um, and uh, I got almost 10 months now. I've been in almost every recovery house around. Um, and I stopped doing drugs and my life got better, <laughs> basically. <laughs> um, I'm a chronic relapser. I grew up in Delaware, and I came out to Maryland five years ago and did the halfway house tour. Um, so, yeah, that's that. That's who I am, I guess. Crackhead, dopehead, did it all. Um, addicted to more, and I did any, anything to make me not feel or to feel. So, yeah. So, how did you find out about recovery? Like, was it what's been the normal routine? Like, is it go to treatment, get out of treatment, go to a recovery house, and then progress on? That seems to be the 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 logical path for most people. I didn't find out about recovery or rehab or any of that until I went to jail. So I got locked up in CCDC in uh, Elkton. And when I was in there, for good time, I started taking these classes. And I met a guy in there who was bringing classes in. And uh, when I got out, he let me come over. He let me sleep at his house for five days until I got into a halfway house, my first one in Elkton, Maryland. Yeah. Now, when you say classes, you mean like meeting, like NA meetings? It or was, was it not NA classes? meetings. There was some kind of drug class brought in by the health department, and it was a oh, real, so useless. It, it, <laughs> yeah, it was a real fucking joke. Because yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I did a lot of H&I in jails, and we would come in, and they would say, NA classes are now being held in the cafeteria, and I would always just be like, we're not fucking classes. Like, I'm not here to teach anybody anything. <laughs> When I, I used to work at a place in, in like a manufacturing plant and there was another guy in there that was in NA and the people there would always ask him, like, you still in them classes? And I'm like, I never understood the, the class. Like you're going to graduate or something. Right. You know what I mean? I get a diploma. <laughs> so what was your first recovery house like? What was that experience? And did it seem like it was helpful? So my first one... I got out of CCDC and I moved into a house called Solutions that doesn't exist anymore. And so they were not the solution. <laughs> we called ourselves the Solution Boys. Oh. And because we had the solution <laughs> and I relapsed. <laughs> so, how, going back to what was like that, you said that was your first introduction to recovery. How long yeah, ago? Yeah. Um, I stayed there for about, a, I want to say two months and I got kicked out clean honestly, for uh, being late. Now, it, it seems like each halfway house 
has certain rules and regulations, and there's like different grades to them. This one had a curfew. Um, you had to go to so many meetings. You had a house meeting at the end of the week, and um, I I think I think it was a good house. I mean, it really depends on the people in it. Honestly, if you get like a good house with people that are serious about recovery and are serious about changing their lives. I'm a big supporter of like you are who you hang out with and if you put yourself around good people you will become a good person even if you're a piece of shit like me and that's basically how I got to where I am today not saying that I'm not a piece of shit but I'm a better piece of shit than I was <laughs> four years ago I'm not a dry dusty <laughs> piece of shit I'm a little fresher it's solid well and, and you mentioned different levels and things so from what I understand there are there's recovery housing, which is based on like addiction recovery. It usually has some sort of house uh, managers, yeah, stuff and, and like, like that. rules and regulations about whatever how many meetings you should go to or what recovery you're doing. Then there are halfway houses, which are I guess a little different. They aren't always based around recovery, so they don't necessarily require you to go to certain amounts of meetings and things like that. And then there are three quarter way houses, which are even a level looser than that. Uh, probably almost more like what you described where you were is where you're just almost like a roommate. You're expected to sort of take care of yourself and manage most of your life on your own. Correct. And I have lived in every one of them. <laughs> um, the three quarter. So I went to solutions and then I ended up in an Oxford house and that's a three quarter house. We manage ourselves. There's no house manager. We pay our rent. We meet up once a once a week and we discuss our bills, we pay everything, but we still drug test each other and we hold each other accountable. Now for that, like that worked for me for a very long time. Um, just because the way my work schedule is and the kind of person that I am, like I want freedom, but I still need someone to hold me accountable at the end of the day. And that did, that was, that did that for me for a long time. And if you want to get high in those houses, like there's ways there, there's, if you want to get high, you're going to get high no matter what you got to want it. And, uh, but I had a lot of fun in those Oxford houses, <laughs> a lot of fun. You know, you, you got this, you, you were able to like go sleep somewhere two nights a week. You're able to have people come over into your room and they could sleep over for a night or two during the week. And, I ran with that. Yeah, and from what I understand of three-quarter houses, like you're more um, – the rules aren't necessarily governed. It's more the group of people that are in the house kind of decide if behaviors are okay or not okay. We vote. Right, like where you can – like if, if you can have these sleepovers or whatever or if you can have people stay there. Like it's it's kind of really up to the group of people at the house. Yes. All in favor of John be. getting laid tonight. Like what? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Basically. basically, basically, yeah. So, so that's where they. I've can been go voted wrong. against that. Like they were like, really? no, no women for John for at least sixty days. Wow. Yeah, because you didn't was... live by that, did you? <laughs> I did for a little bit. <laughs> but yeah, sixty minutes. <laughs> I just went over to the mommy and me house. It was right down the street. Yeah. They call it the mommy and McGee yeah. house. That's honestly, a house. <laughs> oh my that's a women's house. Mommy and me. Oh boy, <laughs> McGee and me. <laughs> The MILF house. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you meant, like you said, you came out of jail and went to a recovery house? Yeah, I came out of jail and was a straight animal. Like, I would introduce myself as Johnny the Dumpster. 
Like I didn't know how to live. I didn't, I was using drugs since I was 15 and I was raised by addicts. So it was like my whole life was getting high. I mean, or manipulation and, and all that. I never had any real role models. So like when I was 10 years old, I was like, I want to be like the people around me and I want to get high. I want to, you know, and, uh, it took me to finding, going to these halfway houses and meeting people that had actual long time, long term goals and stuff like that to realize what I really wanted in life. And these halfway houses help build me to, to what I am today. Not saying that I'm great or anything, but I'm not getting high, you know, and, um, I, I feel like I'm somewhat of a good person. <laughs> <laughs> well, and they, I, I guess the idea is they help with the recidivism, you know. Of, they introduce of, you back into right. society, you know, like paying bills. Like that's a normal thing for normal people. But us living on the streets, getting high with a book bag, you know, I have a skill set. Like I can ruin my whole life with $20. <laughs> like I'm really good at it. I can use 20 bucks and be homeless in 10 minutes, like, and go survive in the city with a book bag. And like going to a place where there's rules where I've never had rules my whole life. Like I could smoke weed at 13 in my house as I was watching TV. Like it was nothing. You know, at 15, I was smoking crack with my mom. Like I never had any rules. So I moved in these houses and they're like, I'm 32 years old. And they're like, you got to be home by 10 o'clock. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> like I got to, what? <laughs> well, and, and also it's men or other people that have been through similar situations to you they've been in and out of jail they've been used and they've been homeless on the street yeah. so it's not like it's a, a and no, i hate to not, not bash churches me. but it's not like it's a church or somebody else telling you these rules like it's other recovering people it's people that have two years clean you know that are watching me saying you gotta be home at this time and i'm like fuck and they're like it works for me you know and it's the truth you know i i just followed the rules as best I could until I got kicked out of most of them. <laughs> right. Now, how about like paying rent? Like, were you able to pay rent right away or do they make I, you pay right away? I had or? funding through uh, different, different uh, corporations, I guess, or whatever. Uh, outreach places, Voices of Hope being one of them, paid my rent once or twice. Uh, there's all different kinds. RCA, ACR. A ACR, yeah. ACR, yeah. yeah. I mean, places like this would pay my rent until I could find a job and get on my own feet. And that was a big thing. Like, I feel like with these houses, like, you go in and you're, you're broken. You don't have anything. And you get the funding. And you just get a, try to get a job as, best, as fast as you can. And I'm lucky with that because I have a trade. And um, you just start saving up money. You start accumulating things. Accumulating time away from drugs. And... Um, so when the funding runs out, you have a little bit of money put to the side so you can pay your rent. And I would suggest stay there for a year. And uh, if you can, stay out of relationships. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and Is that really a thing? It, I When I first came around, I didn't think it was. I was like, fuck these guys. I'm going to get laid. You know, and then I fell in love with the wrong person. And uh, I thought I was the worst addict in the world until I met her. <laughs> <laughs> well, then. And, uh, well, they just say water seeks its own level. So. <laughs> sick is sick. <laughs> and uh, so save up the money, 
and then uh, work on yourself. Wait and see before you move out. Make sure you got like a year clean. You have a car. You have everything you need, and you have enough money to buy your apartment and still have money left over. So you're not struggling when you get out. This is like the time to rebuild, rebuild your life, whatever, or, or rebuild or build. Like with me, I had to build one because I never had one. So I just stuck around there. Eventually, I became a house, well, assistant house manager of one of the houses. And um, I still try to uh, work with the halfway houses today as best I can. Give them rides, or I'm I'm the the NA plumber, so I go around <laughs> and help and do the plumbing in all the recovery houses. So I get to see all the new guys coming in and shit. So, oh, gotcha. Yeah. yeah, so it sounds like for people either coming out of treatment or coming out of being incarcerated or or just looking for a change for, normally that. You know, they're going to be the people or the, the halfway house or recovery house is going to be the place where you can surround yourself with hopefully good people that are in recovery in some sort of program that, want that are, are going to be trying to change and help you uh, navigate that that change of environments. Like you said, going from living either on the streets or in jail or, you know, with using to a more manageable It's, it's like life. step one. Yeah, definitely. Step one for uh... – coming into one and just meeting friends like i that's where i met most of my friends in halfway houses or in the rooms and uh it just it i found family there you know because of the way i used and the people i used with i had to cut all those people off and make find new friends and family and uh because of the halfway houses and and na i found that and that's what keeps me clean. Gotcha. Now, have you been in any more like really structured ones with a lot of rules? And because, of course, the three quarter way or halfway houses usually have less rules, or the house sets up, you know, the rules. Have you been in like an actual like strict I, recovery house with blackouts and take your phone and all that yes. fun shit? I was <laughs> I was in this one called the Will House in Bel Air, and it's a good program. It really is. It's good people in there. When I moved in, I wasn't allowed to have a phone for. I think two weeks wasn't allowed to leave the property unless it was for work without another person. So I'd have like two people with me at our, me and another person. Like we weren't allowed to leave the property, even to go to the store. You had to have someone with you. Um, and it was, it, we, on Friday nights we had to eat dinner together. Like mm -hmm. that was a new thing, eat dinner together. And then we had to do an in, in-house meeting, you know, um, it's, it's good. It just wasn't at that point. I was a veteran <laughs> to, mm -hmm. to these halfway houses. And I'm like, I don't need all this. You know what I mean? Like when I first came here, like I said, I was a monster. I, w I didn't know anything and I was just crazy. And then over time, you know, I've gotten better. And then I went to that house. That was a great house. And uh, I just felt like it was too much structure for me at that point, even though I relapsed before you know but <laughs> right. it just yeah uh, i was in a one-year program once in baltimore called the helping up mission mm, yeah. i mean it's not a halfway house it's like a huge halfway house building <laughs> and uh it was very church-based and uh you had classes during the day it was more it was a program i guess it wasn't a halfway house but that that was the most structured place i've ever been even more structured than jail mm. i mean honestly in jail they just put you in a cage this place they want to walk you around you got to wear 
dress up to go to church and every day it was just ridiculous I, I it's not my thing i'm not that religious of a person to be going to church every day how long did you make it there two weeks <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> only two weeks that's 126 of the program i mean that's it's <laughs> not terrible I, i'm really bothered like because i'm a guy who lives in this world of balance i'm really bothered that there's halfway houses and three-quarter houses and not one-quarter houses i don't know why that just what would a one-quarter house be is that like the program you were <laughs> yeah, i'm guessing that's, that's like dexter yeah <laughs> i don't know that's one i didn't go to that's the but Dexter, they say that it has very good out, um, turnover, like they, like the best in the state, I think. Well, from what I understand, I mean, just my never been in a recovery house, but sponsoring people or being around people that have been in houses, it's like any of the programs can be successful. It's all up to the participant to exactly to give in and, and do it. You know, it's like if you go there to any of them and decide you're going to do what the fuck you want to do and not follow rules and try to manipulate and con shit, you're going to get what you get. You know, yeah, you get in what you put in is what you get out of this. And but from what I understand, like Dexter gives you like a lot of the tools you need to to succeed, you know, like counseling and and um, they make sure you go to meetings. They they um. They, they're around most of the time good people because they're handpicked. And uh, from what I understand, that has a really good overturn of yeah. uh, people staying clean after they get out of the program. And I think one of the goals of any recovery housing should be, here's my fucking two cents even though I don't manage any recovery houses, is to develop that like support group or support network for recovery. One of my criticisms is, and this is what I had experienced when I went through treatment, is – a lot of times in treatment, they'll tell you not to go to a recovery house in the area where you're from, you know, because of the risk of going back to your home environment. So they want to send you to a new environment. But for me, like my family and everybody that I, you know, loved and cared about that wasn't in my addiction was all here in Cecil County. I didn't want to fucking leave. Like, this is where my family was. Everyone's different. I had to leave Delaware to come here to try to get clean. And that didn't work out, so then I had to go to Bel Air and go to the halfway houses there. Delaware was too close to Maryland, <laughs> where was, we are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll go with that. <laughs> we'll go with that. I, and uh, when I moved out to Bel Air, I didn't know anyone. I mean, just the people that I met going to the treatment center out there, and I just kept on doing what I was doing, what I was doing here when I was clean. Like, when I'm clean, I'm trying to... I do the 100, you know, I'm going to meetings, I'm talking to people, I'm, you know, uh, uh, step work and everything. And when I moved out there, I, when I was here, I had distractions from past relationships that mm. seemed that would take me out. So when I moved out to Bel Air, it wasn't, it was, it was like I could reinvent myself again. Cause when I, when I first came here, everyone knew me as Johnny the dumpster, you know, and like this this facade of myself and I would walk in the rooms and they'd scream McGee and I would be like, ah, you know, and get pulled back into that, even though I'm trying to change. Mm -hmm. But like my first year here, I was crazy. So when I moved out to Bel Air, I just kind of shut up a little bit and listened more and just reinvented myself out there with the halfway house communities and with NA. And, uh, because this, the way I was doing it before just wasn't working. You know, I kind of just put my head down and shut up a little bit. So how useful, I mean, we talk about this, and, and I don't want to single out any particular house, but a house that maybe 
is a little more selective about who they take in and we talk about, oh, well, it seems like they have good outcomes. But one, does it seem like it or do they, right? Mm -hmm. And two, how effective is that for the people who can't get in? Like that's got to feel pretty well, shitty. Well, it's not and, good for the people that can't get in because they're not getting in there. <laughs> right. I mean, well, well, but so it, it's really like, well, how useful is this place? Are they just hand selecting people that have a good chance of making it? Is that what's increasing their chances? Like, could those people make it anywhere? I don't know what the selective how they how they select the people that they're that they're letting in. Maybe it's something to do with how willingness they want to be when they do the interview. Mm. You know what I mean? Like some of these places, they they want to put you in therapy. They want to take your money. They want to like the man house in, in, um, in Bel Air. You're not allowed a cell phone for I think the whole time you live there. Jeez. You have to go to a, one meeting a day. It's probably super healthy. <laughs> yeah. You have chores you have to do and and. I mean, it's it's a year program, and it's the man house because you're not allowed to talk to any girls. You're not allowed to do any of that, hmm. and it's super. Is strict. that why they call it the man house? He, I I think it's actually called the man house. It's named after the woman that was in AA, and her last name was Man. I I don't know the history of AA that well, but the man house is named after a woman named yeah, Man. I, her last name was Man. I'm yeah, pretty sure it's something like that. I yeah, and uh, <laughs> and. Uh, has a high success rate you know how does that work in the world of 2021 where we're we're much more understanding of the idea that not everybody's you know heterosexual <laughs> i i don't know that's okay. a gets a good point there i feel I, like the man house could turn into the new ymca like, <laughs> <laughs> it's fun to stay at the m-a-n-n -N. it's fun to stay well so I heard this concept recently, and I wanted to run it by you, but it's oh coming my. up sort of in this conversation, so okay. I'm going to bring it up now. It's called pro-social shaming. Have you heard that term before? No. Okay. So we always Close have it. this idea that shaming of anyone seems pretty shame. negative. Like you shouldn't ever shame people. That's a that's a derogatory term. Right. Well, there's this concept that's called pro-social shaming, which is in groups, and I imagine this like a really structured halfway house like that is one of them, is that they come up with these cultures and these norms within that community, and if you don't adhere to them – you know, they will, in essence, shame you mm. to bring you back in fold with the groups. And what they found is that groups with this high, uh, like a lot of rules and a lot of regulations and a lot of this pro-social shaming typically have more success than more open programs. If you look at like Christian churches, it's almost like the more structured and, and rigid they are in a lot of the beliefs the like the bigger the church denominations are because people Control. like the camaraderie like there's some there's some benefits that come with being in that tight group there's a lot of you know benefits that come from the group yeah none and of the you, little boys telling the pastor yeah <laughs> that's true but if you allow other people to come in what they use the term freeloaders if you allow all these freeloaders to come in and and get all the benefits of the group without the pro-social shaming they will actually break down and destroy the group so it's an interesting concept i just i hadn't heard it before and i was like huh 
you know, is that why like a program that is really structured with all these rules, like we're going to take your phone and we're going to some of them have like blackouts, like you're yeah. not allowed to talk to any people outside of that house for cold. 30 know, days, yeah, 90 it could be days, two weeks or four weeks. Yeah, you know, cold. you only can communicate or get rides from people within the house, you know, things like that. If all that pro-social shaming leads to higher levels of success, too. So uh, genetically, it makes sense, right? We're we're kind of wired to be in these groups of like you're either in the in crowd or you die. Like right. that's sort of our genetic history, fourteen thousand years ago. But I, I mean, I, I think that concept's interesting. I could see why it leads to success, but I don't know necessarily that we need to do that to equal success, right? I think the successful part of that might come from this idea of inclusivity. Right. Reading a parent book a long time ago, parenting book, it was talking about this idea of like when you want to give your kids a guideline that you guys do, you, you use your last name and, and you say, we're, we don't do this. Right. You're part of this group. We're crystals. We're McGee's. We're Turks. And we don't do that. Right. Because it makes people feel a part of very especially. And so, yeah, if you're in a house and and they've got these rules and you're on the inside of that, that probably does feel really inclusive and connecting. And we talk about, you know, the opposite of, uh, you know, addiction is connection sometimes. So I could imagine that would work. I just I don't know that we need to necessarily yeah. do it that way. Well, and my concern <laughs> was, well, that's great for the success of the group. But is that good for the success of the whole of our community? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's great that that house can save 20 people. But what about the other 150 people that need that help? They turn they down just, in the interview. Right. right they, they feel they even suffer. worse. There's only so many rooms. Yeah. I mean, that's one thing. Did you ever interview and get turned down somewhere? Many times, <laughs> many times. And, yeah. and how does it feel to think, oh, that program's successful, but I'm just too bad for them too? I mean, I understand why it was done with me. You Do know, you? yes. Why? On yeah. um, Andrew, he uh, would not let me go to his halfway house because he knew if I moved back to Elkton that I would be high again in six months mm. because of my my uh the track record track record yeah so, i've so just come go? i ended up moving staying in bel-air and then became successful i mean thus far you know how do we know that wouldn't have happened if you came here though <sighs> just from the past i mean i would move i honestly i i can't i don't know how many halfway houses i lived in because some of them i lived in the same one four times right you know like uh i, I went i lived in everyone in elkton Every halfway house in Elkton, and some, and I think two of them, I lived one four times, and I lived in the other one six times. So over the pat over, I would say everyone. There's been what six, I think, that I know of. There was a couple in Limitless, uh, Oxford Principles, um, Bagwell. I didn't live Solutions. in Bagwell. That's the only one I didn't live in. Solutions, uh, then. One of them moved to a different house. Um, yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. yeah. But I lived in all of them multiple times. Solutions, I lived there three times. Like, it wasn't just a one-stay thing. It was there multiple times. And then I even tried Delaware with the Oxford houses. And that that was good. It was just that I wasn't ready. I would get an uppercut and with some feelings and some emotions, and I knew exactly where to go. You know, in Delaware, because that's where I was raised. So I went straight to the city. You know, yeah. I was I was ten minutes away. And I only had one experience with a recovery house, and it 
set me off. Like I never went out of treatment. I always just went home because I had good family supports. My parents didn't use and I didn't have to go home to a using environment and they were a yeah. positive support. So I didn't go into recovery housing then. But when I did get in recovery this time, um, it was more just a personal choice. Like I just woke up one day. It's like, I'm fucking done. I'm going to get clean. I started going to meetings like about 30 days in. I went to this recovery house and interviewed and it was, uh, I want to say it was an Oxford house. I'm pretty sure it was. And I interviewed with all the people at the house and then they voted and said no i sounds like an there. oxford house and so that left a bad taste in my ha- mouth with recovery housing i was always like fuck that shit that's you know it's yeah. bullshit and that was it i was i never went <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely it, it all depends on the people in the house i mean for real especially in the oxford house if you in a in, a, in an oxford house if someone gets high they can hide it you know but just because of the people, it, there's no manager, and it's the people managing it. But I've I've always said, if someone gets high in a halfway house, it's like strawberries in the refrigerator. One gets moldy, and like you leave it in the fridge, th- that mold's gonna jump to an, to the next berry, to the next berry, and then you have a sick house, you know. And then they have uh, outreach that are like the Oxford police that come over and they drug test the whole house and clean, clean up shop, kick everyone out or whatever mm-hmm. they got to do, move a couple people to different houses, you know? So, and we've seen that here, or at least I've experienced that here in this recovery community. Like there's been times I've known people that have been in different houses, you know, for long periods of time and they seem to be really good and, and they have a really successful program. You see a lot of their people at meetings or engaged in recovery supports and, you know, it seems really good, and then a couple of months go by, and then you hear, like, oh, shit, everybody in that house is getting high now. And yep, yeah, the whole house. It can change on a dime, you know. Mm-hmm. Are there any things, like, are there any indicators that you've ever noticed that would be like, oh, this maybe isn't a good place? Or do you not really know going in until you get in You there? really don't know going in because, you know, we're all addicts and we're good at hiding things and putting <laughs> on a good face. Yeah. Living with somebody, you learn a lot about them, and you see that their habits of coming home, watching TV, taking a shower i mean just whatever because there's only so many bathrooms in a house if someone starts coming home and going straight to their room for three hours and then coming out in their work clothes still and you're like what you know what's going on with you <laughs> you know you just went upstairs and shot dope and fell asleep in your bed you know <laughs> right. usually you come home take a shower put on your nice clothes cook dinner and then go to a meeting if you're just coming home going straight to bed either you had a really hard day but if you've been doing it for two weeks now like you're up to something you just you just pay attention to what people do and especially if you live with them for a while you know i mean i've been that guy that came home from work and went upstairs and fucking smoked crack in the halfway house hmm. doesn't i've done it and i'm not proud of it but i did it <laughs> and let me tell you don't do it it is fucking paranoid you have you're in a room in a house with eight other guys and you're smoking crack now when i smoke crack i'm paranoid already but now i'm in a recovery house with eight other people and the only thing someone has to do is walk in my room and i'm kicked out you know it's way worse than the cops thinking that the cops are coming when you said <laughs> you smoke crack in a recovery house all i could think was you can't peek out the blinds they're gonna come in the fucking door right i'm like <laughs> you're do you out cut the- like a mail slot in your in your fucking bedroom barricade door? Like, the door yeah <laughs> That's funny. Well, I, I always thought of that with people that go to meetings high. I'm like, that is the last fucking place I would ever want to be high is at a meeting. <laughs> and I've been there too. It sucks. Yeah. <laughs> 
This episode has been brought to you in part by Voices of Hope, Inc., a nonprofit recovery organization made up of people in recovery, family members, and allies. Together, members strive to protect the dignity of those that use drugs and those in recovery by advocating for treatment, harm reduction and support resources, and mentoring. Please visit us at www.voicesofhopemaryland.org and consider donating to our calls. So what what makes a good recovery house? Like, are there certain practices besides the people, right? I get that, like, the environment is definitely going to make it. But, like, is there certain qualifications? Have you seen certain things over time that you're like, oh, these practices kind of work. These were somewhat useless. It's honestly, like, I feel like there's levels. Like, there's a, like, you start here and then you can work your way up to to the three-quarter house like you know what i mean you come out at your first time in treatment your first time or out of treatment your first time out of jail first time trying to get clean like go to a structured house for a little while get your you know get a job get on your own feet yeah you know get some stuff and then like start to go up in in the levels of stuff i mean that's what i see that works a lot for people and end up in a three-quarter house so that you're basically living on your own but you're still being held accountable you know and then find some guys and get like a you know rent a room together so you still have some accountability before you move go out into the world and with no accountability at all you know, my first year held me accountable was honestly probation because <laughs> that was over my head. Like, I don't want to go back to jail. I have five years over my head, you know, and I went to these recovery houses and uh, they they were holding me accountable, too. Um, but rules that don't make sense. Um, honestly, they're really they all make sense because they're it's things that you. That you should live by. I mean, like cleaning up. You got a chore every day. You got to take the trash out. You know, um, the phone thing for a whole year, that's a little ridiculous, honestly. Because, yeah. like, the kind of work I do, I can get a phone call right now and saying, like, I got to go go to a job and make some money. Like, if I don't have a phone, what, are they going to write me a letter? Right. You know what I mean? Right. Like, so right. that doesn't make sense to me not having a phone for a year, but I understand why they take the phone away because that's your connection to like your old life. You know, if you don't get a new number and you don't get it and you keep your same Facebook, like you can still have connections to your old life that you're, you know what I mean? Like all so your dealers and all your friends that you got high with. Like every time I got clean, I had to get a new Facebook and people that actually know me know that I have like 12, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because I, I, I had to start over, reset my life, you know? So I understand it, but I disagree with it. It doesn't fit me, you right. know? Yeah. And I've heard some other rules, uh, one of them that always struck me a little weird, and again, I kind of get it, but it doesn't seem overly helpful, is that you have to leave the house by a certain time in the day, and then you can't come back till a certain time at night. And that's regardless of if you have a job or anything else. Like, you have to leave by 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock, and then you can't come back until 5 o'clock. I forgot yeah. about that rule, honestly, <laughs> because I went through that my first my first couple months in recovery in the solution house and 
I didn't have a job. I didn't have an ID. I didn't have a social security card. I didn't have anything. I came to that house with like a trash bag of clothes. If I had that. And I had to hang out at the health department until like 1 o'clock until I could go back to the house. And like I see how it pushes you out of the house. It, it tries to get rid of like freeloaders basically. People that are just going to sit there until your funding you know, is up and then you're back getting high again. Because that's what a lot of people do in these recovery houses. They get funding for two months. They go to these halfway houses and they just – they do nothing. They don't work on themselves. They don't try to be – get a job, they don't try anything, and they just freeload for two months, and then boom, they're back on the streets, living the way they have for many, many years, and they're comfortable like that, this is like a break for them to get some weight up, you know, maybe get some money in their pocket, maybe if they decide to get a job, you know, mm. and then I hear a lot of people say, I, I'm in a recovery house, I'm not paying $150 a week, that's way too much money, but it isn't really because it's the accountability that you're paying for. You know, the, the accountability, the the um, networking and all that that keeps you clean because if you weren't paying that and you're just getting your own place, no one's holding you accountable anymore. And a lot of people stay for three months, get their own place, and then they're fucking high their first week because they have no network and no, you know, none of that. And they haven't figured out, they haven't figured out their emotions right. and feelings and all that and, you know, and they get high. So I, I'll say – and I don't know that any one of these recovery house programs works better than another or doesn't or any of that. But my experience is being around meetings, people who are in recovery houses, I can't say that like it stood out that any of these people necessarily did better because they were in a recovery house or not. Like, I, I feel like yeah, some people stay and some people don't. And same I, thing with the program, you know. Right, right. It's I, all I just, up to the person. I guess for me that raises the question: like, is this really? Because there's a lot of money on the back end of this, right? Yes. That, that like people in recovery aren't necessarily aware of. Like, there's tax breaks. There's all these different Correct. things that go into it, right? Mm -hmm. There's state funding, federal funding. I can't swear that actually this recovery house is doing anything because like you said, it's probably the same percentages of just everybody else that comes in. And I don't know that that justifies having them. If it wasn't for the halfway houses, I wouldn't, I don't know if I would know about recovery and I sure the hell wouldn't have had a place to go to grow, to, to be, to continue my journey in recovery I would, I would, I know, I'll tell you what, if I got out of jail and I had to live in Elkton because of my probation and I had nowhere to go, if I lived underneath a bridge, I know I wouldn't be going to meetings. Mm -hmm. I would have been getting high and I would have went back to jail for five years. So having the halfway house gave me an opportunity to grow into a better person because I had a place to go that was safe because of the way I lived prior. I would. I, you know, I wouldn't have took that opportunity to grow. Yeah. And I imagine, I mean, and you mentioned it earlier, and this is what I think is that that modeling of people that are trying to live clean and successful helps. Like, so for myself, I lived in a healthy family. My parents paid bills. We never went without food. Like we had stuff. So I knew what normal life looked like. I mean, I couldn't do it very well. I would get my own place and not pay the bills and end up, you know, kicked out because I was using all my money on drugs. Yeah. But it wasn't, I didn't know how to do it. I just chose not to do it. Whereas yeah. it sounds like your situation might have been a little different. It doesn't sound like yeah, you my ever role had models a lot didn't of pay rent. Models, right. <laughs> we, we just bounced around, 
you know, my whole life. So right, I went so, to like eleven schools in nine years. So like we didn't stay too long anywhere. Is there something we could do better though? Like instead of uh, the recovery house system, which each one seems different in its own ways and has its own rules and guidelines, and and none of them seem to necessarily work better than any others. I get that you're saying it's a it's a good environment and and something to introduce you to meetings and to network possibly. Is there some way because there's a there's complaints that like the medicalization of uh, treatment for addiction is very much like hey you do this 28 day program or we detox you basically and then send you out in the world should we maybe do we need to medicalize further treatment whereas it's not like like, maybe it's more standardized maybe there's more medical you know treatment type facilities that last longer that you live in that reorient you to the world Uh, are we doing it well having it just Oh, uh, you know, Joe Schmo can go fucking buy a house and turn it into a recovery house and make his own rules and do whatever. Well, if there was like a perfect way to recover <laughs> for for the average person, I would say that they would go, go to a detox. They would go to like a three-month program of treatment so that their mind gets further away from the drug and then they start to miss re- – reality of being in the real world and then go to a halfway house so that they get that taste of freedom from the treatment that they'll get with the halfway house but it isn't like too much you know what i mean so there's still control and you're getting like a little bit better a little bit a little bit more freedom a little bit more freedom and you appreciate that freedom more and then you know you move your way up the halfway house to a three-quarter house and you're like huh eight months ago i was in a detox where I wasn't allowed to leave the leave the grounds, and then I and I was sick, and then I went to a treatment where I wasn't allowed to leave. Then I went to this house where I was allowed out till ten o'clock, and you just slowly progress, being reintroduced into society. You know what I mean? That would be the perfect way for someone that's, I guess, you know. I, I plan on opening my own recovery house in like a year, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, if everything in my life keeps on going the way it does. It's a good – I mean, like you said, there's money in it, and I like money, and I, I, <laughs> I make money, and then I don't know what to invest in, but I've been to so many of these houses that I know how they work, and it's I owe a lot to these halfway houses, even though they kicked me out. Even though, like, I learned shit from getting kicked out of them, honestly, you know? I learned a lot about myself. And- it's called pro-social shaming. <laughs> <laughs> Pro-socially shame you till you're better? I mean, this wasn't a good thing to be asked to come and speak about the recovery houses. It wasn't like, yeah, you, you know, you, 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 it's not a good thing to have been to every recovery house in the state of Delaware and Maryland, you know? But well, It's good that you're not dead. So uh, yeah, yeah that's the, I'm very lucky to be alive <laughs> many times over i mean when we think about standardization and and like do they need i feel like right now people can just kind of do whatever the fuck they want and call it a recovery house right and yeah and it creates tough situations and no win situations right this person used do we put them out in the cold street tonight do we you know it's it's 10 30 at night do we let them stay till the morning do we try to get them back into detox instead of kicking them out like there's it's complicated i'm not saying there's a good set of standards but i just feel like it's way too wide open where you have houses like you said where everybody's using or houses where everybody's on point like well and then on top of that they are trying so there's work being done towards that 
getting kicked out in the middle about. of the night. Well, just getting more of a uh, oversight or structure. Um, Carlos that we had on yeah. the one episode, he does a lot of work in that area. Um, but they're they're working towards that some sort of standardization of recovery housing. Um, the other sort of back issue is that the state has a lot of its uh, whatever you want to call it rules and regulations that it does put on houses that take state funding. So if you're going to take any sort of state funding, there are certain rules that get uh, pushed onto the houses that can cause some friction. One of them being that if you take state funding, you're not supposed to be able to turn down people that are on medicated assisted treatment so mm. what do you do with someone who's a on you know i'll just say a heavy dose of you know yeah some sort of maintenance that's in a house with a bunch of people of abstinence you know you can't necessarily Mix tell them. that guy yeah. he needs to go to 12 step meetings because that's not in alignment with that treatment model and so that creates a whole nother like how do you regulate that like they've created a problem with that rule and the idea is great the idea is that anyone that's on a maintenance program should have equal access to housing as mm. anyone else we can't just have every recovery house can't just be abstinence based then you have nothing to support people that choose a different pathway but the implicate or the application of that hasn't been so easy to manage <laughs> in my experience with the maintenance um regular halfway houses they either have like a maintenance house where everyone's on maintenance and maybe the manager isn't so he can watch them, but he's fucking stressed the hell out all the time, honestly, and pulling his own hair out. And then they have, you know, total absence houses where no one's getting high, no one's doing any, I mean, not getting high, but no one's on maintenance. And then there's Oxford houses where you have a mixture and the people that are usually in maintenance in these houses usually don't last too long because you know, it's it's ran by the inmates, and the inmates get jealous of seeing someone not out at the couch because they're I methadones. Got take homes, <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> like, they're you know fucking take homes in my fridge. Like fuck that. Yeah, hard. you know, and <laughs> you can't if you're trying to stay clean, get clean or whatever, and there's someone in your house nodding out at the stove. Like you get you get jealous. You miss that feeling, you know. So it, that's 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 a hard. That's hard it's right tough. there. It's tough. Right. I mean, I've been there, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and uh, it doesn't work out too well usually. So that's one of the things they're working on, I think. That's why th this one guy that I'm real good friends with, he owns a couple, he owns like four houses in, out in Bel Air. And I went through one of them. He had, he separates them. He has clean houses and, and maintenance houses. And it's just, I mean, it, they work, you know, but the state funding, you're right. The state funding will only will only fund you if if uh the, you take the main you got to take everybody you right. can't you can't pick and can't choose selectively yeah. now with people getting kicked out at night like because that that's a thing yeah, that's, that's a going on thing. right now and that's really kicking halfway houses asses right now is like most of the time your house meetings at nine o'clock at night I mean, sometimes even 10 o'clock at night it depends on how many the owner owns and it gets the way he gets around or whatever and you go and you you have this house meeting and at the end of the house meeting you take a drug test now it's like 9 30 10 o'clock at night and you're taking a drug test and you fail now you're getting kicked out so now you got to get kicked out 9 9 10 o'clock at night and you have a car 
and you go get in your car and you get high and then you crash and kill somebody or kill yourself but you can't stay at the house because you're high and you got six other guys in the house that are looking at you high and they're getting jealous or or you know or or it's triggering triggering them and so they're like they don't know what to do with these people because they don't want to kick them out and they don't want to keep them in the house because you, you keep someone in the house that's high other people will get high eventually you know so they're they're trying to figure out a way to do it yeah know, the other problem with that sorry not to cut you mm -hmm. off is that you've also like in your case where you relocated you're taking people that aren't from an area bringing them to an area so someone who might be from the eastern shore or somewhere up in delaware ends up here in elkton then you kick them out of the recovery house and if they don't have a car or maybe don't have money yeah, that too then they're just fucking homeless in a new place like yeah. and now you've you've created an environment where you're transplanting you know problems people that are going to yeah. need resources or addicts that are going to need resources because you encourage them to come here that's the flip side of that is that house encourage those people to come there there's a i don't want to say a sales pitch but when you go to any rehab the houses are in communication with the rehab because they want the referrals and mm. as you mentioned there's like a back end to all this for money and the houses need those referrals so that they can stay full they don't make any money when they're not full so they're in connection with the, tr the treatment providers so that they're a good referral for people. So they're selling people, hey, come to my house, you know, up here in Elkton. But then you use and I kick you out and now you've – You're homeless you know, in you've Baltimore. affected our community. Right. And yeah. yeah, you're homeless somewhere else. Yeah. Yep. Carlos also presented the idea to us when he was on, on that episode about the idea that, like, we have these house managers, but they're they're – you know, basically getting free rent usually or reduced rent and they're not, that's not their full-time job. So like it's really, they're working 40 hours a week or more already at their job. And then they're supposed to be this house manager, but don't have the energy or resources really to have the time to, to manage the house like they would need to. And that there should be a standardized, you know, house manager role that gets paid that that's what the person does you know, somewhat in a professional capacity. Do you think that would be useful? Yeah, maybe some kind of training or some sort of... <laughs> <laughs> There's different levels to the house manager thing. You know what I mean? Some people... Are, to be a house manager, I think you should have at least a year clean, first off, mm -hmm. and work a program and, like, and are trying to better yourself. Now, making that a full-time position is is i don't think is is worth it you know unless you have 20 guys in the house or something most houses only have six to nine guys i mean six to eight guys most halfway houses do and like they go out to work they do their thing they sleep so like they're only really up in the house for five hours a day you know what i mean honestly you know so you just you just talk to them a little bit and watch them and make sure that their habits are the same and you know and you have other people in the house watching out too i mean that's a, a good thing you got to have like communication with the people in the house you become friends you become a unit become a family and you just watch each other and the house manager is the one that is supposed to have the full communication with the owner of the house in case something does happen you know and um I don't know about getting like a full salary for that because then it wouldn't it wouldn't make any money. You know, mm. a house that's that you know, I could see having free rent. Yeah, I was gonna say having some of them free, rent, free rent. That's most yeah. of what happens. You get free rent or you get reduced rent. But getting an actual paycheck from a house that only has eight guys 
it wouldn't be profitable for the, well, the owner of the hard, house. Hard roll too. I've known people. It's like hard if, to kick someone out be, in the middle of the night. Well, that or if you want to be the militant guy that upholds the rules, obviously people aren't going to like you very much because even the people that are there that are serious about recovery, you always want to break some rule. You know what I mean? Even if it's a minor rule here or there, you're kind of like, eh, this one doesn't matter. Aren't you going to look the other way for me? Because we're buddies, you know? Like, Definitely happens. <laughs> you got to get that guy. Fuck that guy. But me, I get a slide, you know? Definitely happens. I'm... <laughs> and if you get a bunch of people that are going to meetings, like say all of them are in the same fellowship, whether it's AA or NA, then you got that whole social click. You know what I mean? You want to fit in with your social clique so you can't be throwing your buddies out in the middle of the night or, you know, on a guy's ass because he hasn't been to meetings in a month or two. Like, it's just, it's so hard. I lived in a house that was half AA, half NA, and the NA guys definitely kind of stuck together and we would, you know, we would argue with the AA guys, you right. know, because the way the steps work and shit. And they were like, yeah, I'm on step six. I'm already sponsoring two people. <laughs> and we're like, yeah, I'm on step one on question 50. <laughs> and I'm like, I didn't have a conversation today to get on step three. <laughs> and yeah, you know, you have three months clean and you have two sponsees and you're on step five. Like, whoa. Okay. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, hope they stay alive. We would fucking go in and out with these guys about it, it all the time. Me. I posted a meme about AA steps versus NA steps oh, the other day. And so many people in the comments were like, I don't get it. And I'm like, have you never? Like, where the <laughs> fuck do you live? Like, this is, everybody knows this shit. What do you mean you don't understand? Yeah. They're the same steps. I'm like, oh my God. Okay. They're a conversation. Right. So, I, you know, one thing I have found interesting about this discussion so far is that uh, when I, before I did this, before I had all this online interaction with recovery communities, my take would probably be the same as what I've heard today. But I feel like all these recovery house programs are really, really based around this idea of going to a 12 step complete abstinence based program of recovery. And seeing what I see online in the recovery communities, that is like not what everybody's doing, right? There are so many different paths to recovery and so many different ways people do it. And and so I'm just curious, like how set up are these recovery houses to handle people who are recovering in some completely different way, right? Whether that's like, oh, what I do is therapy every week or what I do is, you know, a, a strict meditation and yoga program. Like, I feel like a lot of recovery houses are forcing you to 12-step meetings, which is... The stricter houses are. Yeah, you know that I mean? doesn't seem very inclusive to me for what I know recovery to be nowadays. Yeah, the... um. More of the the stricter houses, they want you to go to a twelve step meeting. Now, other ones, they'll accept therapy. I, I've I've been in houses that accept therapy. That um, uh, what's the other one? Um, smart recovery, things like that. It's just harder to get like a slip signed because some recovery houses they want you to take a paper in, get right. it signed to prove that you've been going to this many meetings. Especially the recovery houses that want you to go to one every day right. or or five a week or something like that. So I. I've never been even when I was in houses that I had assigned slips. I was never big on bringing my slip. Like I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm not. You're gonna take my word that I went to these meetings, <laughs> and more than likely you're gonna see me there, and you're gonna know that I was in a meeting because I'm a fucking loudmouth guy. So I just, I, but 
I right, and then in the Oxford houses, I think, or or that model, I shouldn't just use them, but there isn't even like a manager, right? Everyone's no, no manager. Equal, so, so everyone has to watch each other. Yeah. So yeah. you could do. I mean, I'd say you could do whatever you want, but the idea is, if you go into that house and if they accept you in and you tell them what your path of recovery is, you would think that they would be okay with that. They don't require you to go to meetings, but they, they it might suggest, be hard to get in. They you want don't. you to. <laughs> they want you to, but once you get into the Oxford House and you're there for a little bit, a lot of people fall back on meetings, and then they end up getting high. I mean, I've 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 done it. You know, I started going to meetings. I mean, I moved into an Oxford House. I stopped going to meetings so much. I started hanging out with my girlfriend more, and then she got high, and I was high. You know, <laughs> so it's just uh, a lot of them. They're, and with the Oxford House, you can do therapy and count. You can do smart recovery. You can do NA. You can do A. You can do anything you want. Program. Whatever right. you want that helps, that you say helps you recover, change, and become a better person. You can use that as doing something to, to grow, you know? Well, like in this in this ever ongoing conversation between me and you about like what keeps the shame of pushing people into a place that maybe isn't the right recovery model for them. And like if you're going to detoxes or treatment and they're pushing you to recovery houses out of your area, in your area, or if that's the only place you have to go, you know, somebody like John who, who didn't have anywhere else to go really. And that's where they're telling you in the recovery house that needs to be you know, you have to go to these 12 step programs. Like that's uh, somewhere along the way, people are being funneled into these places when I just don't feel like that's the only or, or best sometimes way of recovery anymore. And so we, you know, we just keep talking about how does this keep happening? Well, this is one of the ways recovery houses are pushing people there. I don't know any other options. Yeah. The hope is that if you're in a decent treatment facility with a good counselor or case manager who's making these referrals that they're going to refer you to a program that's in alignment with what you want to do like not every house requires abstinence in 12 steps some do and you would hope that the counselor who is on your case is going to refer you to the path that you choose the problem i think is and we touched on it on some of the other episodes is client brokering and kickbacks for referrals and things like that that's where it can get a little sketchy well but how many people too in in treatment with 26 days or 20 days when they're planning out where you're gonna go how many have been exposed to this idea that there's other recovery models right and and i'm not just talking about some kind of maintenance uh, anything anything that's outside of the scope of 12 step right there's people who fucking go to art therapy or something. I don't know. Like there's a billion different ways that I'm, that I'm seeing people online are, are finding recovery and staying here and finding happiness. How do you know what 20 days clean if you've never been exposed to them? Like, I don't feel like they're talked about. And I feel like you go to treatment and they're like, well, these are your options. There's Suboxone or there's 12 step, right? Like, are they really in there talking about, man, there's, I think smarts getting a lot of push these days. Okay. And, yeah. And you can go, I mean, Anymore, Google's the fucking way you find most things. If you just start Googling non-12-step recovery, you can come up with stuff. Because I've done research looking at, we've wanted to have other people on about other recovery programs. So I've Googled it, and you can find, there's a bunch. There's programs out there for, like, how to 
whatever you call it, like maintenance, how, not maintenance, but how to uh, manage, yeah, moderation management and things like that. And they're not hard to f- find I, those programs. I don't know about, like, say, housing would depend on your interview process and what the house was yeah, willing to accept. I guess just, like, you know, without, I mean, and, and here I am, a guy in recovery for an amount of time, like, without this interaction we've gotten from doing this podcast of me just chatting with people online about their recoveries, I had no fucking clue that abstinence wasn't the only way. Right. So here I am, a guy who who considers himself worldly and, and, you know, spent 15 years of my life in recovery thinking abstinence was the only way or the gold standard. And so now I'm like, how does somebody who's been living under a bridge for the last 20 years have any idea that there's other things other than abstinence to choose? And when they go to treatment and they say, hey... What kind of path to recovery do you want? Well, abstinence. That's all the fuck I've ever heard of. Well, and that was part of the thing I think was hoping with Ray was that I I think through a lot of these programs now, they aren't just – I don't know about rehabs. It would be interesting to talk to someone who's just now getting out of a rehab to see. we got a couple rehabs in this area. I don't know what rehabs are saying, but if you go to the health department, they will give you all your options. They will not just tell you. 12 steps or maintenance like they are very educated in what you're supposed to be doing now if you come to a place like voices they're going to give you some other options they encourage smart or whatever so it is starting to pick up but yeah 15 20 years ago if you went to treatment it was abstinence and that was that that was just that was the only thing if you talk to people walking in the door of voices six months ago whenever the hell it was that i was here people don't know like you can present these other options hey there's all these and they're like no 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 abstinence is recovery that's what it looks like like they only know 12 like that's all people that's have ever heard generic of generic one the most common one is just right. stop doing drugs and your and, life gets and better go to 12 you know what i mean right. that's so it's just but I, you it's look like, at that as a problem see he looks at that as a problem i do <laughs> want to when everybody's dying like it's obviously not the answer well they're they're doing the drugs that they're not supposed to be doing <laughs> so if 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 the scientific study shows that 12 step only works for 10 percent of people which it doesn't by the way that Maybe. isn't a scientific study so you can't say that you making shit up no it's a scientific study <laughs> but that's all right we'll talk about that after this. uh if that's what happens 10 percent of people get actually helped by that or whatever right and we watch people die all the time. I mean, it was just another person in our, our area or from our area that, that's gone over the last couple of days. Like, yeah, I was friends with him. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, I can't tell you how many people it's been since I got here. At what point do we say, well, maybe something's a little off here. But how many of those working. people have also tried or been on a maintenance program or I, tried or been saying, on other recovery programs? I don't you can't know. just say because they had one interaction with a 12-step fellowship and they overdose that it's the the 12-step fellowship is the cause they could have had interactions with maintenance programs they could have had interactions with counseling and therapy you know what i mean it's it's not necessarily fair to say because you had an interaction with a 12-step fellowship and then you died the fellowship doesn't work i'm not saying the fellowship doesn't work i'm saying this if we had a thing that helped cancer and it worked for 10% of the cancer people that we sent to it, we would still be fucking looking for a better answer. We would say, oh, yeah, that's, I mean, hey, at least one in 10 are getting saved, but there's got to be something that works more effectively than this. 
And it's just interesting to me that when I, I bring this up to people, it's never like that same sentiment in them. It's like, oh, no, the people fucking failed. That's their fucking problem. And I'm like, if we know this is only doing it for a certain percentage of people, why aren't we still looking for a better answer? Why are we just so content to say this is fine? I think there's a big of people that are. I mean, so, yeah, I think within the 12-step community, you might not hear that as much. But if you reach out beyond, like now with all the harm reduction methods that are going on and this – the, I don't want to say Advent is smart. It's been around, but you're starting to see more smart, more recovery dharma. Like these different options are becoming available. I mean, people are – I don't know that anybody that's trying to squash them or put them down and say that you shouldn't do them. The 12-step programs are programs that you get what you put into it. All mm, right? If you – you do if the, the more you put the more you put yourself into the steps networking the program meetings and stuff like that you start to become better now the cancer thing it's just you take a shot and you're you, you know it works or it doesn't with this you have to put work in on yourself to become better that's a good story but 20 years ago there was a guy who was going to six meetings a week and working steps and had a network and called a sponsor every day and used anyway so what's that that is (laughs) (laughs) that's choice it's not that's when it becomes choice you chose to get high did you choose to get high the first time you got high the first um no okay i know it was presented to me by my family people that i trust and it was it was there and i tried it what the you, first time what do you use to cope today what do you use when you say ah this probably isn't a bad idea but i'm gonna do it anyway. i i'm a workaholic okay so i'm addicted to money and i like food and i like sex i have a girlfriend for that today that's different usually i was i lived life different but i have a girlfriend so yeah i guess from a therapy standpoint like people use coping measures because life is intolerable right it's a survival skill it's a survival mechanism and so it's it's very much less this uh higher level thinking choice that we seem to want to make it out to be that's that's my take on it uh i don't when we're in survival mode, when our nervous system is like fight, flight, or freeze, mm-hmm. there's there's all that front level, frontal lobe brain stuff. Mm-hmm. It's all shut the fuck off. Like, I, I don't have choice anymore. I have, I got to get by somehow. But I guess when I look at this story you said about the guy with 20 years, you know. Yeah, was, you know he didn't have 20 years. That was just 20 years ago that happened. Oh, well, even if a guy got 20 years and then used, like... Th- I don't know that that's a necessarily a success or a failure like that level of abstinence or period of life that he had doing something different. He wasn't, he's not dead. He's not overdosed. His life hopefully got better during that thing. So I wouldn't necessarily call anyone that comes into 12 step and then decides to use again like that. Doesn't make that a failure. No, no, I don't think it's a failure. Program doesn't hasn't helped them or worked in some way. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that that we have this. I I just feel like we blame the people who don't get it for not doing it, and I don't know that that's exactly true. That story says that person did it and it didn't work. I've been trying to stay clean for five years, and I'm a chronic relapser, and me taking a break from doing drugs getting my life together somewhat 
and then losing it all again because I got high and then getting it all back and losing it, getting it all back and losing it over and over for many years and many times. Like I learned something about myself each relapse going out and coming back, going out. I gotten better. I feel with every time I relapsed, you mm -hmm. know, this is not a perfect program. I mean, the, they say the program perfect, but people aren't. And I definitely am not perfect, but I definitely have learned more about myself and how I react to situations, emotions, and feelings to, through relapse and trying again and trying again and trying again. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, there's no shame in relapse and I'm not, I'm not saying that. I just, if we knew, if we were less content with settling for this is the answer. And we went back retroactively and there was some other thing we could have introduced to your life, right? Maybe it didn't keep you clean this whole time, but maybe it made your life better and, and you got this sooner because of this other thing, whatever that may be, right? Wouldn't you retrospectively say, man, I, I wish that would have been what I was introduced to instead of like, wouldn't you have wanted your life to I mean, be better? It depends on what it is, I guess, you know? Yeah, I, I don't know. I just and I, I think that's what's happening though to me. It, like that it is might be. I, I don't feel like it's. I don't feel like the word is spread enough. If it is happening, I was on methadone for three years, and it was the worst withdrawal, the worst experience I ever had. Having to wake up at five o'clock in the morning every day to go to the clinic to take a shot every day, and then I st still got high off of crack, so I was smoking crack. I mean, I didn't do the methadone program in any way the way it was supposed to be done, you know, but I had the worst withdrawals in my life in, in, in jail, you know, mm -hmm. in prison, and it just sucked, and I would never go back on a maintenance program because of the experience I had on the methadone, my own personal experience, mm -hmm. you know, and so... I, I mean, and only I, so I tried that way that didn't work for me and I did not like the outcome of trying to get off of it. You know, I did not like the way I felt in any way. Cause I was like sick for like two months. It felt like, and so then there was, I mean, what else was there? <laughs> you know, I, I think that's his point. Uh, is yeah, that, that's, yeah. I mean, I was limited to 12 options. Yeah. It would not shock me if in 20 years we have evidence and we found that something about the 12 step program, I don't know what, maybe it's just the way the fellowship acts. Maybe it's just humanity, the way we treat each other. I don't know what it is, but it wouldn't shock me if we found that something about the program probably contributed to these people that, that don't last here. Right. Like if there's some other way we could be, I feel like act. it's more with them, with themselves. Ah, yes. You know what I mean? Because, the, okay. So if you're getting high for 15 years and you stop getting high and then something happens in your life, like an emotion, a feeling, and you hit that feeling and in your mind, you have these deer paths from getting high for so long. You go right back to automatically getting rid of those feelings. And what do you, what are you so used to doing for so many years? Getting high. And you just follow those deer paths to get high again. You know, until you can change your brain and the way you think. That's the, what you will continue to do. And, and maybe one day we find complete evidence that that's the fact. But until then, I will not be stuck on the idea that all these people that die... It's just they're lacking. I can't believe that. 
It doesn't make it's sense the to me. People's choice. <laughs> well, and it's just sad to say, and I'm going to circle this back gotcha. to recovery housing right. in a minute, but it's sad to say, and and I don't know this, and I hope I'm being awful bleak, but it might not be a problem that we can fix. You know what I mean? It might just be the state of our society is. Well, I mean, it falls in line with a lot of other. If you look at addiction in general, to porn, phones, food, sex, drugs, you know, it's at astronomical levels across the board for every substance leads me to believe that it's more than just a a drug problem, that we have a social ill. We have a very much something wrong in our society (laughs) that I agree more than just a, a any sort of 12 step program is going to fix it's a culture or a way of life that needs well fixing. And I, I agree but and that's where i'm like well where what are we missing that we can't transform these micro communities into these these recovery communities what are we missing that we can't transform them in ways that we need in all society but mm-hmm. at least we could transform them in ways where we'd stop having people die so i'll, I'll tell you about something when we're done but yeah I'm okay. come back because i so, gotta wrap up i'm sorry do you want to no, no. Do, do you have any? What, what's the craziest, worst, dumbest things you've seen people get kicked out for, or you've been kicked out for, or you've seen happen? I got kicked out of the house once for dumping a girl that got high, and they didn't like the way that I handled it. And a dog shit on my bed, shit on my fuck, a dog shit on my bed, and it was in the same week. Like I, I broke up with this girl. That wasn't a dog. And you probably yeah. might not have been. And it was not a dog. I got kicked out of not, not I, an animal I, dog. I got kicked out of a house because a dog shit on my bed, and I broke up with this girl, and because she was getting high. And one of the guys in the house brought her over, and like I guess was fucking her, and and uh, so I was mad at him. So he and the dog shit on my bed. So outreach found out that there was a dog in the house. Wasn't supposed to have a dog. There was a dog. I, Oxford House found out, and they said that. And the the guy that was sleeping with my girl said that uh that he must have told because that dog shit on his bed. So I came home and now there's two guys. One guy's I'm mad at, and the other guy's mad at me because he thinks that I told on him, and I didn't do that. So like two of them teamed up on me, and like I already had problems because like just the way I acted. But I I was go I was the only one in the house going to meetings and and working a program. So like that's another thing. Like uh, there's a whole house none of them go doing the program none of them are working you know working on themselves i was the only one so they called me captain recovery in the house mm. so that already they're like you know like, do we really want this guy here and all that so i came home and uh they they picked the fight with me and the one guy was like seven foot tall no joke like seven one big tall guy and i told him that i would climb him like a tree and like beat his ass and we almost fought because i just got out of jail i had a whole different like attitude and about myself and uh i ended up getting voted out and kicked out because a dog shit on my bed and someone slept with my girlfriend who got high that was the craziest thing yeah i slept with a co-worker's wife one time and he's shitting my tupperware uh, my lunch Tupperware, so I don't think that was a dog. <laughs> That's a real thing. Uh, apparently, shitting on people's stuff is a get back. I guess That's, a revenge. I, yeah, it was new to me. I'd never had my stuff shit in before. 
Oh, yeah, that's mm. terrible. Did you keep the Tupperware? No. 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 That no. went immediately. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Chalked that one up as a loss. It was a fair <laughs> trade. His wife was hot. It was a fair trade. <laughs> fair trade. <laughs> so, I mean, it sounds like at least this time you're successful. Things are going well. I'm finally Is there anything out of specific the... you attribute to that or the recovery house? How has that helped in this case? I did what I was told. What I was. I did what it was suggested of me. And I, uh, I just put myself around people that wanted better for themselves and better for me. And I, uh, I just kept on doing that. And I just, uh, I finally got tired of starting over, you know what I mean? Because I never really had anything. So I would get to a point in my recovery where I would start to get everything back. And I, I didn't have anything, any like thing to get, I would get the car back, get everything. And I would get to a point where I was like, okay, well I got everything back. Like, what is the next step? And I had no idea, and I would end up getting high. Mm-hmm. And now I'm, like, past that, and I'm out of the recovery house finally. Mm-hmm. I've been out of recovery house for three months now, and um, life's good. Like, life's good, you know. I, I It's different because, like, I just spent a whole week alone because my girlfriend went to Florida for a week. And so I got to just lay in bed and watch TV with no one else around and no one holding me accountable and that's been like the first time in many years many many years and i was and i didn't get high so i made it i passed the test because i was actually worried about it so nice. people just called me up and checked on me my network so she had an ex-boyfriend's bed to shit on while she was down there so and we'll say this and wrap up so what would be your advice to someone new to recovery that's trying to get into a recovery house or looking for a recovery house what advice would you give them give it a shot stay stay as long as you can and make friends with people that are trying to do the the right thing you know get get close to those people if you can you know make friends with them if it, it like from the stay with the people that are trying to better themselves and you will better yourself you know honestly the people that are you know that aren't the people that are in or and i can't it's hard to say the people that are in or out because i'm one of them <laughs> you know but like it's the truth like you gotta and i hate the saying stick with the winners i don't like that because all of us are winners if we're trying to get clean and stay clean then like we're doing something but like just stick with the people that are trying to change their lives that have a positive outlook on life and it will it will fit, you know, fake it till it make it kind of thing. Cause I had no idea what I wanted in life or any goals. I never had any of that when I came here, you know, I just, I was like, I'm just not going to get high today. Like that's my goal, not to get high to get today. Now I want to go to Florida next month, you know, <laughs> like, right. so it's just, it's just what it is, you know, Pick, make your, make sure your friends have goals honestly that's that's what it is because if they have goals and you can start to see them change into better people and start to like do real life adult things like you start to want to do real adult life things too instead of just going to go get high <laughs> and lock yourself in a hotel with a hooker right. you know you're gonna do you on the ex-boyfriend's bed too <laughs> <laughs> all right uh so yeah recovery houses there there may be some value to them um find one where the people are doing what looks like uh you know the life you want to live and and stick with them and stay safe out there did you like this episode share it with people you think might get something out of it 
Check out the rest of our episodes at recoverysortof.com. Also, while you're there, you can find ways to link up with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, YouTube, anything. We're always looking for new ideas. Got an idea you want us to look into? Reach out to us. 